host, Sheila Dean. Hello, good evening. Glad to be back with you. As imprecise as it is, um, we typically would be airing at 7.20 p.m., but we've been kind of relaxed this week as a follow-up to a really hard push to read an entire book for 17 days straight, and that was the Willful Blindness Willful Blindness Tome. Um, tonight we will be reading the second and final chapter in the series on the bodies of others, written by Naomi Wolf. So, um, as a follow-up act, uh, I have in my hands The Authoritarian Moment by one Ben Shapiro, and it was how the left weaponized America's institutions against dissent. And I'll just read one of the poll quotes from the back of the book here. It says, The cultural battlefield is no longer left or right, conservative or progressive. It's those who demand that you think a certain way versus champion cognitive liberty. With precision and wit, Shapiro masterfully exposes outdated ideological thinking while making a compelling case for a kinder and more rational way forward. So there it is. And that is Peter Boghossian, co-author of How to Have Impossible Conversations. So, um, which sounds like a really great book, actually. Uh, So yeah, the authoritarian moment is what's next on the docket. I don't know exactly how many of the chapters we are going to be reading at the moment, um, but it's a good book. I also have on deck um, chapters from The Great Reset uh, by Glenn Beck, I think. So if you have a preference of which book we should read next, please indicate some and so. Um, don't forget that AI show will be airing as regularly programmed, scheduled at Saturday. Uh, we will have two hours of program blocked up. The first being the event uh, where we have No Rules Berlin dropping in and discussing how to operate and use Dal E uh, quickly, and then followed by a short talk with. Um, important people in the industry who use character-generated artificial intelligence every day for art. So that would be really cool. I really invite anyone who wants to to come out and experience that and and know what Dolly is and how to operate it. It's one of the few open AI projects that have actually made it out of the gate that seem really interesting um, to a lot of people. So uh, a lot of people are super excited about it right now. We will also follow up that with um, a policy update on the EU and UK AI laws, privacy law that was passed today out of committee, and then of course the antitrust stuff that's uh, blooming in Congress. So a lot of stuff to talk about, but tonight's, tonight's chapter is just chapter 13, vaccine passports and the end of human liberty. Here we are. We're going to read it. Let's go. By the end of 2021, vaccine passports in many states and nations effectively became... Just a moment. 
By the end of 2021, vaccine passports in many states and nations effectively became the passports to human life. Imposed worldwide, along with vaccine mandates, they gave tech companies an all-encompassing historic advantage over human beings. In essence, the all-human experience, fellowship and joy, was put behind a paywall. Do you want to worship? See family at Thanksgiving? Have a job and feed your family? Go to the theater? Get on a long-distance train? Not without your vaccination subscription and your booster every five to eight months, probably forever, is the renewal of the subscription. Your body is a credit card. It's what you pay with. Vaccine passports are at the heart of the transition to a world where humans are at the mercy of big tech and a few oligarchs. In 2021, when they were first being floated in the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom as trial balloons, I had started warning publicly about the implications of vaccine passports. They rolled out early in Israel. Israel submitted the Green Pass. Within four months, the Green Pass had created a two-tier society. New York State and California were targeted next, then Canada. The messaging worldwide was the same. The vaccine passport is the key to ending the pandemic and regaining normal life. Of course, proof of vaccination could be confirmed on a piece of paper. We were digital passports. Were they really needed? Uh, as CEO of a tech company, I, I knew exactly why a digital version was necessary and the ill that fact boded. I did all I could to warn people that it signaled the potential end of human liberty. In a video that went viral, I explained that digital as opposed to paper vaccine passports could require endless updates to stay valid. How did I know this? Because a digital product can be made to shut off. Vaccine passports were truly the last step, the last fight that we had to fight, because once the vaccine passports were accepted, there's no more resistance. When you sign up on a website or on an app, you sign your name and choose your password. And then there's a list of terms and conditions, and you agree to them. This seems insignificant, but it's important because what it means is that you have choice. You can read the terms and conditions, and you can think, this is too, too tyrannical. They're going to sell my private details. I'm not willing to agree to these terms and conditions. And then the password and username mean that you get to decide when you log on to TD Bank or when you log on to PayPal. You're not walking around your daily life logged into PayPal. You're not walking around your daily life logged into a credit score. You're in control. With the vaccine passports, in contrast, none of that will be the case. Everybody must be participating all the time. If you don't participate, you'll eventually don't get let into a supermarket to buy food. You don't get let into the pub to meet your friends. You can't get into the restaurant. You can't travel on an airplane. You can't travel on a bus. You can't travel on a train. And it's not just that you're forced to participate. The vaccine passport platform is the first step towards a social credit system like the one in China that enslaves a billion people. In China, the CCP can find any dissident in five minutes because of the 360-degree surveillance of the social credit system. It means that when you act like a good citizen, you get to boost your score. And when you act like a bad citizen, opportunities get closed to you. Maybe your child doesn't get into college or into a prep school. Maybe you don't get that job. You don't get that promotion. The vaccine passports being rolled out in the West could enable the same platform. 
Once rolled out, I warned any other functionality could be linked to these passports within a half hour of coding. It means that within a tweak of a backend, a bank account access could be switched off and on depending on how the underlying AI assesses what you've been saying on social media. So if you've been too conservative or too liberal, or you use the words President Trump too often, or the words Prue Choice or Sierra Club too often, a machine reading could let, could let your bank know, and your bank could switch off your access to your account or dial up your interest on your credit card. Microsoft and Salesforce, as I noted, proposed early versions of a vaccine passport. Development of a digital passport required nationwide would be an incredibly lucrative and immensely powerful contract. The people who house and manage this data would essentially run the world. They would be more powerful than nations. This mechanism can also directly manage dissent. With a tweak of the back end, those who control the mechanism can never be sure to never grant you a rejoin society or a I don't have COVID check mark. You could be at the mercy of what the passport says about your status. So if you're a dissident, you can always be positive for COVID without much recourse to challenge it. And you'd be in a second class category in society for the rest of your life. Your family would too. Let's consider a scenario. When you agree to the vaccine passports, when you go to a pub or play or restaurant, you'll swipe that QR code where does that information goes? It goes to a central database and the information of all the people who are with you who are also swiping the code. It's also going to a central database. This means that a vaccine passport, which is really a social credit system, knows everyone who's at that table. And if you're talking online about resistance to the system, if you're talking to straight strangers about staging a protest or writing an op-ed or mobilizing support for a representative, to pass a bill to roll back this system, the platform can know. There's a functionality that creates maps of networks of people, and as you swipe in your vaccine passport to that cafe or to that restaurant, or even in your living room, the software is geolocating you. It can tabulate the searches that you've done historically, and it can read what happened on your collective social media as a group, and you, as a group, can be blackballed. Your social credit score can dial down, or else you are simply all red and not green. Your shots are out of date. It can make it impossible for you to get on a subway or a metro or a tube in London. It can make it impossible for you to get on a bus. It can make it impossible for you to book an Uber or book a Lyft. And this is not maybe 10 years down the line or maybe more dystopian society. There is now also a global push towards government-managed digital currencies. With a digital currency, if you're not a good citizen, if you pay to see a movie you shouldn't see, if you go to a play you shouldn't go to, which the vaccine passport will know because you have to scan it everywhere you go, then your revenue stream can be shut off, or your taxes can be boosted, or your bank account won't function. And there's no coming back from this. When I was asked by a reporter, what if Americans don't adopt this? I said, you're already talking from a world that's gone if this succeeds in being rolled out. Because if we don't reject the vaccine passports, there won't be any choice. There will be no such thing as refusing to adopt it. There won't be capitalism. There won't be free assembly. There won't be privacy. There won't be choice in anything that you want to do in your life. There will be no escape. In short, 
This was something from which there was no returning. If indeed there was a hill to die on, this was it. Uh, but of course, my warning was to little avail. The rollout, long plan, continued apace. By April 2021, two U.S. states were using vaccine passports and the European Commission had proposed a digital green certificate to facilitate free movement inside the EU during the COVID-19 pandemic. By July 2021, people in France could no longer travel by train or eat in restaurants without a vaccine pass. And by the late 2021, just as I had warned, citizens of Israel were onto their fourth booster as the definition of fully vaccinated continued to evolve. And now, a personal narrative by Naomi Wolf. I was invited to New Hampshire by the Republican State Representative Melissa Blasick. She warned me that 47 states were under emergency law. To my astonishment, the State House in Concord was closed. The legislators met there in an unsecure convention center. I was invited to Maine by State Representative Heidi Sampson and spoke to a group of legislators about the dangers of vaccine passports. I was equally amazed that the State House in Maine was closed. A state representative sneaked me into the empty building. I looked at the August deserted auditorium with its empty balcony where the citizens had once watched the debates of their representatives and participated in them. We were hounded out of the desolate state house by someone from the governor's staff who shouted at me, You don't belong here! I could have never expected to experience anything like that in my lifetime. Was this America? I found that the state house in Oregon was too. Too. The state house in Oregon was too. Was closed. I interviewed Baroness Claire Fox, a member of the House of Lords in the British Parliament. For her part, she could not believe that she and fellow legislators were expected to deliberate on not secure Zoom and Microsoft platforms. I thought of Steve Waterhouse, the Canadian cybersecurity expert who had said early on in the pandemic was a hack by China of the West. I started a campaign called the Five Freedoms Campaign to ban vaccine passports, restore free assembly, end mass mandates, open schools, and end emergency law. I was amazed that such a monumental story, the closing of state houses across the country, was hardly reported at all. Okay, and that is it. I never heard about the Five Freedoms Campaign, honestly. And I would certainly join, I would join her today uh, without hesitation. I'm sorry I wasn't in the know or was asked, but I certainly would have assisted Naomi Wolf on this and have enjoined. So um, that ends on page 222. So quite an assertion. You know, I have made similar assertions in the past, so similar in fact that that was the genesis of what was formerly the 511 campaign. It was essentially her argument against the internal passport system and um, the social credit system in general. But instead, I was trying to like kind of claw my way out of uh, Washington State, where basically it was, it was super close to Microsoft and Salesforce. Salesforce was right on top of me. I think Salesforce hired an operative to like watch me. But I'm not, I can't confirm or deny that. Um, 
but there was somebody in my world who worked very, very closely with the CEO or one of the CEOs of Salesforce who was talking to me on nearly a daily basis. And I, I didn't know that Salesforce was directly involved in promoting um, this passport. But uh, I was vocal about other things and I did not hesitate to explain to this person with a vociferous rebuttal of all the things that she was indicating. She tried to get me to get involved with a vaccine so that I would not have to get a pass. Well, if I got a vaccine, then I'd get a vaccine passport. There was, there was uh, bids to cajole me and kind of persuade me to come uh, out to events uh, to do this. It's so strange. So weird. What a weird, weird world we live in. Anyways, um, at the time uh, of the beginning of the pandemic, my partner in life, John, had been working at Microsoft, but um, that became untenable and he migrated to another company, which he works at now. So we both evaded the demand to get vaccine or vaccines, the, the mRNA vaccine. And there was no popo that came to the house to require us to get a vaccine. We were still allowed to like do things like grocery shop without a mask uninterred. And it was okay. It was okay until I think May or June of 2021. And then it all hit the fan. And I indicated to the Salesforce person, who shall remain unnamed, um, that this was a State Department bid that was being organized through the WHO. And because I was aware that this was State Department, I contacted, I started contacting Canada's consulates about all kinds of jams and I, I came up with the strategy to approach Sweden's because Sweden didn't go for the vaccine anything no vaccine mandates no vaccine passports and so I made a thing about it I made a thing about going to the Swedish consulate and asking them for uh, temporary asylum or enlisted them for temporary asylum so that I could get out get out of it if they if the state of Washington went hard about it but then of course that that one flatlined um, because they would have required me to actually go to Sweden to apply for asylum so I couldn't I couldn't just like get asylum from you know running inside of a Swedish consulate so it didn't work <laughs> but I tried <laughs> And I tried, other, I tried to get other people. And people ended up just fleeing these states. They just left in droves. And that was actually the bigger news item. So I'm sure at, at the drafting of this chapter, which, you know, she, she portends a really catastrophic scenario. And these things did, did happen. In fact, uh, in Washington State, and this was before the unsanctioned citizen podcast was the sanctioned citizen podcast while I was in state of Washington the state of Washington it was 
the Sanctioned Citizen Podcast. Okay, I was out of touch with a lot of things, and I, I felt really buried there. And so um, I've been kind of working my way out of that whole thing. I might actually give Naomi a call after this. <laughs> and now that I'm aware of how this went down. Anyways, they did close down the state houses in in Western Washington and that everybody was Zooming from home. And everybody in public service and, and public attending, including the city of Kirkland and all of the above, they were all jammed right into Zoom, which I thought was horrifying and bad. But, you know, I, I didn't expect the leaders of Western Washington in league with Jay Inslee to make good decisions about China because they didn't even recognize the fact that the import-export dominance of Chinese operatives were, you know, not allowing me to even speak to any of anyone, anyone in the Seattle Ports office whatsoever. And I did report on that. That was the biggest thing for me to say at that time was that there was a Chinese operative at the ports who wouldn't allow me to discuss incidents of commerce and would hang up the phone because I didn't have import-export business for China. And so there was just no negotiating it. That, this was kind of like surreptitious, like left-hand, right-hand grab, you know, one from global, one from global China, you know, in the state of Washington, which, you know, they've got casinos, they've got the whole Vancouver model rocking right now. I, I took to the podcast airwaves <laughs> Because that was the boldest thing that I could have done. People took pictures of a bumper sticker I had on my on my car, which says, you know, think it's not a, illegal yet, okay? And then I had an, an anti, or kind of like the, the Hong Kong solidarity with the Hon, Hong Kong protest, you know, that sticker was on my car. And that was like, whoa, that was incendiary. So, but nobody nobody even thinks anything about it here. People put whatever they want, you know on their cars here in Austin. I've seen all kinds of stuff. People, you know, get real free with their speech. <laughs> they put stuff all over their cars, flags, um, just, you know, they spray paint slogans all over the sides of their car. I mean, people are creative again. I mean, I it just, it was just great. It, it was great to see people being, uh, you know, effusive and, and expressive and, and get out there. But the one most depressing thing about being back here in Austin is seeing people kind of go for the whole defund the police and then go for the Zoom culture in the city government and then also go for the the you know let's let's uh let's let certain um minorities predispose themselves to autocrate towards uh the rest of the structure and without a vote, without any kind of a vote, they want to kind of chicken wire over, you know, determine what speech is, that sort of thing. So that was the biggest crisis. And, um, you know, I, I don't expect people to, 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 you know, just run in here and give me massive, massive listenership about this. They know it at some level, at some fundamental level, that this is true. 
and that this happened, but I think they're maybe in denial about it. So, <clears throat> so I, I, I'm nowhere near transphobic. Nowhere near. When, when the last rodeo of national internal passports was in vogue, you know, when it was when it was being trotted out by the Bush administration as real ID. Um, I was I was actually allied with someone in the trans movement here in Austin, Texas, and and now that person won't even talk to me. They just won't talk to me. I don't know what happened to them or if they've been spooked into a corner and you know told you know this is how you represent the the, the trans movement now. She she got involved in education. Um, this is Lisa Sheps, and you know I don't know what she's doing today, but you know I wish her well. I hope she's having a a good and decent life. Um, I never wanted her to have anything other than than possible freedoms and for her not to be discriminated against in her flying, in her travels, or anything. So I always felt good about trans people because of people like her. But when the rest of this started happening, some of it's contrived. Some of it is a move to, to socially indoctrinate some people. I don't believe it's authentic. I think it's authentically a cult because there's no no reason why there would be a 4,000% spike in adoptive medical surgeries or, or applications for name changes and that sort of thing. That is a movement of gender identity. So, uh, and that comes from somewhere. Um, but before you have to understand that the trans community is was super small a micro minority underneath one percent so it makes no sense to me that all of a sudden there's this vogue explosion of um recognizable trans people like they just materialized out of the clouds um i don't necessarily find that believable i'd be like i i do believe that they have been concocted, that they have been generalized, that they have been engineered or astroturfed, and that is something that somebody will probably find fault with me for, but it is my belief. I didn't say it was a fact. It is my belief and my assessment of my own culture, which I'm entitled to doing. It won't make me a turf. Um, but I, I, because I have prior relationships with, with people in the trans community, you know, but that doesn't seem to have any currency anymore. Only the collective, which is oblique and nameless and formless, that can attack me from hidden places using robots with trans identities are able to do this. So, um, I'm sorry I was out of touch with Naomi Wolf, but there was, that was probably intentional. I was meant to be necessarily isolated in Washington State, probably strategically, because I I'm I'm never one to go along with any of this crap. <laughs> okay, so um, it's good it's good to get that out. It's good to get those ideas out of my face uh, without contest. I I see that Joshua the faithful is is here with me. I don't know if he wants to talk or not, but you were able to. Josh, would you like to talk? 
because otherwise I'm going to just wrap up this this uh, singular diatribe about this. Um, all right, sounds good. All right, so I am going to wrap it up. This has been um, a short and potent edition of the Unsanctioned Citizen. Glad that you have attended with your attention, and we will see you next time. Next time, hopefully, we'll have some chapter work from The Authoritarian Moment by Ben Shapiro. Or The Great Reset um, by Glenn Beck. His, his work is in there, too. All right. So thanks for stopping by. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast Archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and Call In. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.